Welcome back to another episode of Monday Morning Boilers. I'm Connor, joined as always by Chris, and we have a huge weekend to talk about. Uh, obviously, if, if you're just now following Purdue sports, don't know if you know this, but uh, Purdue blew out the number two team in the country on a ev- emotional Saturday night under the lights, 49 to 20. Just an absolute dominating performance by the Boilermakers to move them to four and three overall and three and one in conference play. It was a game that I think a lot of Purdue fans felt like maybe they could keep it close. I know that last week's episode, you and I both had that sentiment that we felt like it would be a competitive game. Uh, even from just kind of watching some of the post-game reaction stuff, I don't even think that that the guys on the team and the coaching staff believe that they could be 29 points better than the Buckeyes. Uh, I don't think there's a Purdue fan in the world that isn't aware of what happened Saturday night. And um, yeah, I don't think anyone uh, could honestly say that they expected a 29 point beat down of the number two team in the country. And that's pretty unexpected. I think beat down's an appropriate word. You've yeah. got it. I mean, Ohio yeah. State is arguably just from a pure talent wise, probably one of three of the most talented programs in the country. And you're talking about a team that's going to roll out a four or five star guy at almost every single position, and they just looked clueless on offense. Well, like, I think they're on defense. I think they're a really talented team that's um, severely flawed in a lot yes. of ways, and a mm-hmm. lot of that uh, manifested itself during the game, um, which resulted in them getting donkey-stomped <laughs> by a Purdue team that clearly is not dysfunctional and has, um, through the trials and tribulations of those first three games, Connor, learned to be a pretty disciplined team. Um, because what I saw on the other side Saturday night was an Ohio State team that's immensely physically gifted and talented, but is uh, incredibly undisciplined and uh, really cost themselves at really key times in the game because they they weren't in control of themselves. Yeah, well, and that's, and that's a thing when you look that's at the stats. That's a harsh stat- assessment, but I'm telling you, I think that's what I saw. Well, that's yeah, what I, saw. I would agree with you. And you look at the you look at the Ohio State outgained Purdue. They had the ball for longer. And they had more first downs, and actually had fewer penalty yards. But and, t- it was and they, where and they the had a longer time of possession in the play that was killer. Yeah, they had the ball from, you know, for thirty-one minutes versus Purdue's twenty-eight. Um, now, of course, some of that is because Purdue was able to put a touchdown on the board to cap off the upset with Marcus Bailey's pick six, which we'll get into some of the the more emotional elements were very clearly on display um, within the entirety of, of the game and even the events leading up to it and surrounding the football game. But I really think that we saw last night that Coach Brom and his coaching staff made it clear to the country that they're one of the tops in college football and, and that it does not matter who they're playing against. They can game plan and, and have a plan to exploit teams. Well, I think when they're hitting on all cylinders and things are going right for them, when you couple that, you know, some good fortune with 
excellent play calling and preparation. Um, they're very, they're going to be very difficult to beat. And there's no reason to think that they couldn't beat anyone that's left on their schedule. The number two, supposed number two team in the country did not play like the number two team in the country at all. Um, and I think we're going to get into that here in just a moment about what they did do. But, you know, there's a couple of things that really stood out <clears throat> to me. I think the three, there's three storylines of the game as far as the game goes. And there was a lot of storylines, you know, outside of the game. And I know you're, you're going to touch on that here in just a minute. There's some great human interest, you know, stories surrounding the game. But when you look at the, just the game, Purdue versus the run, stellar. They held mm-hmm. them to 76 yards on 25 attempts. Yeah. Um, OSU had just, I, I don't know how she explained it, just stupid penalties. They had two that were huge that extended drives that resulted in touchdowns for Purdue. Yes. You know, we had a, um, a roughing the passer and a roughing the punter deal that ended up extending drives because we were basically dead in the water and going to have to punt the ball away. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they, they just make incredibly costly errors at exactly the wrong time, extend drives for us that result in 14 points on the board. And then for me, the third real storyline football-wise on the deals, um, Antonio Blackman was phenomenal, man. Um, he had two pass breakups in the end zone that were TDs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he had eight tackles on the night, six of them solo. Uh, that guy played a great game against a very talented OSU receiver core. I mean, he was he was going up against guys that are great players, and he mm-hmm. more than held his own. So to me, those three things are just huge. There there isn't anything negative in that game for Purdue. There's so many good things. The defense was incredible. They they played as well as they possibly could have. Like you talked about hitting on all cylinders. The defense. I think that a lot of people. We all understood that the defense lost a lot from last year. I think they lost, what, nine of their top 11 rotation guys. You know, you didn't have a, you had a lot of talent, but a lot of inexperience coming back. There were major questions at corner. You know, Antonio Blackman, Tim Kaysen, Kenny Major, Dedrick Mackey, Simon Smiley. These guys were, were guys that within the fan base were, were not seen as guys who, you know, in certain aspects could even be competent cornerbacks, much less guys that could make plays in big spots against the number two team in the country. And you could tell right from the get-go, the scouting report was attack Antonio Blackman. And Haskins went back to that well early and often in between the 20s. But you got to give Antonio Blackman credit. When it mattered, you know, inside the five-yard line, inside the 10, he made two or three huge stops that totally changed the the complexion of the game because Ohio State has four red zone trips that result in six points. Yeah, I don't think it's time to remove the question mark from the defensive secondary just yet. And I tell you mm-hmm. what, what Kenny Major's status is through this week leading into next week's game is critical. Yes. Because the, the depth there is not great. And if Kenny cannot go, um, that forces Dedrick Mackey and Tim Kaysen to play more snaps than I think anyone wants them to play besides two guys named Tim Kaysen and Dedrick Mackey. Okay. Right, right. So Kenny Major's status for Saturday's game is going to be critical. Um, but for last night, uh, that group that that group was phenomenal. They were great. 
Yeah, I, I mean, Dwayne Haskins threw the ball 73 times. Yeah, that's like, how they, they They abandoned yeah, the run. We're going to talk, and we'll get into the run defense here in a second, but there was a lot of pressure put on the secondary, and they did. They gave up. They gave up some plays. They gave up a lot of underneath stuff, but they did not give up the backbreaker and the chunk plays, you know, and they yeah. held, held strong. I mean, they did what they bent, bent, but don't break, right? Bent, but don't break. That's the, the mantra. And yeah, they were able it's, to do that. It's interesting because that's kind of, I mean, OSU only comes in where they, they were averaging what, nine, nine yards a pass or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Haskins throws 73 times, which, again, is just an outlandish obscene number of attempts. Yes. But, it, I mean, six six 6.4 yards per pass. So it was a lot of underneath stuff and a lot of dink and dunk stuff. And, you know, if you look at what their their averages were uh, for the receiving core, I mean, they weren't – it wasn't off the charts, you know. Contrast that, Purdue hit a bunch of big plays. I mean, we averaged – 15, 15 yards of, re- of reception last night. Mm-hmm. And that, that's with, you know, Rondell's got a 43-yarder, Zico 37, uh, Cole Herdman, he had 29 yards on a catch. I mean, there's some big plays. This is a Jeff Brom offense, man. There's some home runs there. Well, and, and we've talked about this a couple times already about the season. It's clear to anybody who's watching Purdue play week to week that the scheme is in place. There are guys at on every, almost every snap. There are guys that are open or are in a position where they can make a play. And David Blau has been incredible, but I think a lot and, and a lot of credit goes to him and his ability to receive coaching and his ability to make good decisions and to make plays when he's asked. But I think a lot of it is that coach Brom and, and, and Brian Brom and Jamarcus Shepard, you know, those three guys that kind of are the, the offensive game planning and, and play callers have done a great job of scheming up looks that allow David Blau to make easy throws, get the ball into his playmaker's hands. And they're only asking him, you know, maybe 10 times a game to make difficult throws. A lot of it is, okay, do you understand the offense? Do you understand what you're seeing? Here's, a, here's an easy slant route. Right. Or in the case I'm, I've got ESPN pulled up and I'm seeing on the sidebar, they're running the highlights, the Rondell Moore touchdown where he puts his hand in the ground to stay up. That's a that's a swing pass. You know, that's not a difficult throw for David Blau to make. And I, it's just the scheme has been so incredible offensively that they have allowed David Blau to really flourish. And like I said, a lot of credit goes to David. The The one throw that I keep coming back to that I thought was was the most David Blau type of play that we've seen from him in his career. He rolls out to the right side. I think it was third down. He looks like he's going to have to try and scramble. He pulls up and he throws back across his body and he hits sparks for like a 15-yard gain and a first down to keep the chains moving. Yeah, dangerous throw because he threw across the field, but back across the field. But, man, he made a big play when the team needed it. And he has been able to do that. And I think that's been the difference for him this year versus, you know, his first year under Coach Brom and his first two years on campus with with Coach Hazel is he's making great decisions. He's he's getting the ball out on time. He's reading the coverages. He makes gutsy plays when when the time calls. He's not afraid to stick his nose in 
and try to pick up a QB sneak, even though he's not the biggest dude in the world. You know, he's willing to, to kind of run some of the option stuff and be a physical player. And just, he's a senior leader that has experienced a lot of losing. And for these older guys, for the seniors on this roster, you know, you just, you can't help but smile because you know, just as a fan, what, what, what they've been through. And for them to get that moment last night was incredible. Man, it's a big weekend. There's a lot to feel good about, that's for sure. And then, uh, you know, we didn't even get into the run defense <laughs> against, I mean, Ohio State is a team that has always, you know, Urban Meyer's teams have always been predicated on running the ball. And they've got a little bit of a different talent at quarterback than they he's used to having. You know, when you think Urban Meyer, a lot of times you think Tim Tebow, right, that dual threat kind of option. They don't really have that with Dwayne Haskins. But Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins are two blue-chip recruits who have, had a lot of success in the running game in years prior. And, I mean, they they got 76 yards rushing. Their longest run was 11 yards. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, Mike Weber actually averaged five yards a carry. That's not awful. No. Um, but J.K. Dobbins is the one that got bottled up, and, and he struggled this year, yes. um, mm-hmm. to be quite honest with it. I mean, J.K. Dobbins comes in and uh, – you know, 500 and some yards on about 100 carries. He's averaging like 4.6, 4.6 a carry. And uh, Purdue holds him to 2.2. And his his long was six yards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think the front, the guys up front did a nice job of standing the lineup and then letting the guys in the back come in and clean it up. And that's why if you look at the numbers, you know, you look at Marcus Bailey, he's got 15 tackles, eight of them solo. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, we talked about Kenny had uh, 12 tackles, eight of them solo. And that was Denim before he got hurt. <clears throat> that was before he got knocked. I don't know what happened there. If he's got on the shoulder or, or he got knocked out. I'm, I'm not sure. We'll find out later this week what's going on with Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. Den- Deniman, great night again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, nine tackles total, seven of them solo. But a lot of that goes credit to the guys up front. You know, holding things up and then letting those guys come in and make play and clean it up. The the running game, clearly they they chucked the running game. That's why they got seventy three pass attempts. Right. I mean, they that's just a, they gave they up. Gave, they they gave, gave up on it. I mean, it's Kevin Wilson. I mean, that's Kevin Wilson's style to throw it a bunch. But yeah. <clears throat> I mean, well, and yeah. I think that it was interesting. So you and I were both at the game. But I yeah. was watching. I was watching the replay this morning, and Kurt Herbstreit was talking about the Purdue defensive line and how they're generating pressure. And he's talking about, you know, Coach, Coach Holt's doing a great job because he's got he's got grinders up front who aren't great athletes. They can't get to the quarterback, so they're bringing pressure from everywhere. And I think he was right. But the one thing that I think that the defensive line does such a great job of is those guys do. You know, you talked about it. They are just they just take up space, and they make it hard to run the ball against Purdue, which is something that, I mean, I can I remember I don't remember it was what three or two or three years ago that Maryland ran for like 500 yards against a lot of the same guys that are on the field, <clears throat> holding Ohio State to 76 yards rushing. 
Well, the technique's different. The coaching's different. The strategy's different. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things that have changed since then, and it's it's pretty effective. The defense just gets better and better every game, week after week. And, um, you know, and, and, the, and the nice thing is not to get cart in front of the horse here, but as we start to roll into um, the next three opponents, next four opponents, arguably, you know, their strength offensively is the run. Yeah. And so their strength is what our strength is defending against. And so I kind of like the way this schedule starting to shape up for the old boilers. Um, well, I think we'll talk, I, we'll talk about Michigan state here in, in just a moment, but I mean, I, that defense is, that's no fluke. Okay. No, that's no happenstance. Now that's a and trend. It, and it goes, it goes back to the larger point of that Purdue caught lightning in a bottle with this coaching staff. Well, they sure did. I and I and sure did. understandably so because you look at the numbers at Western Kentucky and everything, you know, Coach Brom and his offensive expertise, he's a cutting edge coordinator. You know, he did you know he he did so many things last night to attack an inexperienced and a shaky linebacker core for Ohio State as far as a lot of the motion, some of the eye candy stuff that they gave Ohio State to open up the middle of the field. But Nick Holt and his defensive coaching staff have been out of this world. And, and I don't think anybody expected the defense to bounce back the, the way that it did last year. Certainly nobody thought that the defense could get to, get to that similar level this year. Well, I, I don't want to get too um, wrapped up in the euphoria. Of, uh, honestly, one of the top five games, maybe top three games I've seen played in mm-hmm. at Purdue in the time yeah. that I've watched, right? I mean, that's a huge night. That one ranks right up there with a, some of the greats. Mm-hmm. But I think what it really comes down to is Purdue's a, is a lot better than people thought. Yes. And Ohio State's not nearly as good. That's a flawed team. That's a team with some issues. There's some issues there that are not uh, football X and O related. Uh, yeah. They got some culture issues. They got some issues in the locker room, I'm going to assume. Uh, they quit. They quit. Yeah. At one point last night, they flat quit. I saw it happen in the fourth quarter. That team quit. And then you saw it played out, at least in my mind, and maybe I'm seeing what I want to see. I, you know, certainly been accused of that before. Uh, yeah, on Bailey's interception, um, half-hearted attempt from Haskins to stop him and nobody else seemed to have any interest in getting in the way at all. Yeah. You know, and they just, they just, they, they rolled over to a degree, to be honest with you. I I just think there's a lot of stuff going on there and they had an interesting beginning to their season Mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of stuff and some distractions and there's just a lot of stuff going on there. And I think it's starting to uh, manifest itself on the, on the field a little bit. At least it did last night. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you talked about the pick six. I think you can even go back further. I think you look at the the first play of the fourth quarter, and it's not that it's not the team quitting. I think it's the coaching staff, not necessarily well, quitting, but not. You're talking about you're talking about the pun. On fourth they and punt one. on fourth and one. It's twenty one yeah. to six. Yeah, you just gave up a long. You've given up a couple long touchdown drives. Purdue's got the momentum. The crowd's really starting to get anxious. That felt like the pivotal moment where, in order for them to stay in the game, they needed to to at least try to go for it on first and or fourth and one. You you got all these five star guys, right? You got all these big bodies up front. You've got these two blue chip 
quarter, you know, running backs. You got a six four quarterback who could fall forward and probably get a yard, and you decided you're going to punt the ball. And I think that that was Urban Meyer and the coaching staff just sending a a clear message to their team that we just don't feel like the offense is getting it done. That might have been the unintended message. I don't know if I can can sign off on that. It was intended. I. I'm going to assume the thought process was we believe in our defense enough to think that they're going to stop this group and we're going to get the ball back. Basically, it's two scores, right? 15 points. But what we can't do is spot them the ball close and they score again and go up 22, right? So I I don't know if it was so much that Coach Meyer and his staff said, we're done, put a fork in us. Maybe it was a strategic thing at that point, but I'm telling you, the guys wearing helmets on the field, they were the done. Fourth quarter, they, had, they, they were they done. Mailed, they mailed it in at one point. Yeah. Was it really interesting to see? Well, I, I think, think he, I think I, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Ohio State the rest of the way through. Yeah. Yes, it right? will be. Because this, and you and I had talked about this kind of leading up to, to the game. This was an Ohio State team that had gotten had scraped by the last couple of weeks just on sheer talent alone. Yeah, you they're know, immensely physically gifted. Yeah, Minnesota hung with them for three quarters last yeah. week, and then they yeah, they, just, did. they pulled away because they just were that much more talented. Yep. And I just think that Purdue's coaching edge and their aggressiveness was what allowed them to stay in the game and. Well, not even stay in the game. They they never trailed. They took control of the game. Right, it's dominant, man. And you look uh, at the aggressive the aggressiveness in the second half was really fun to watch. Wow, they did not step off the accelerator at all. No, I mean, well, 28, even, 28 fourth quarter points. It starts in the That's second. Great. It starts at the end of the first half with a minute fifty left. They mm-hmm. march down the field. They get to fourth and three. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're gonna kick. We kick the field goal. We go up ten three into the half. That's great. We're up a score. Mm-hmm. They they run the fake. They let the punter Joe Shopper lower his his shoulder pads and get the first down on the fake, and then they they punch the ball in the end zone on the next play. And that what's so that's a, a what what's Shopper's success uh, rate on uh, fourth down stuff like that? I don't. know. It's got to be that high. Dude, that, that dude's money. I mean, yeah. when, when they decide they're going to let Joe Shopper go to work mm-hmm. to pick up pick up something like that he's successful so going back he took a shot he took a shot on that play too yes he did but he (laughs) he lowered his his shoulder and he knew he was close to the sticks and he had to at least try to fall forward so did you know he was he was a pretty pretty gifted defensive back in high school yes so i mean joe shopper's not not immune to hitting or getting hit i mean no he knows that he knows how to mix it up a little bit. No, 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 no. But but what he's probably not used to doing, at least recently, is getting hit by the six-two safety who came down off the back end of that field goal block unit and well, laid yeah. the lumber on him right at the sticks. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had a couple of those guys at Cathedral back in the day. I'm sure it's not the first time he got hit by a big old train, but but he um, had. I mean, he had two huge plays. Yeah, one he did. one one that he was. I mean, he was involved in both of them the fake is a big play but then also taking the somersault kick to the face on the punt they got the roughing the punter yeah i mean that was that was another big momentum shift it allowed uh, them to keep the drive alive 
some incredibly undisciplined plays on LSU's part that, you know, they're going to have to get cleaned up or they're going to struggle down the stretch. The one thing, <clears throat> so you know, we talked about uh, Haskins throwing it 73 times, and if you told me that Purdue was going to win and one of the quarterbacks was going to throw it 73 times, I would have – I would have almost guaranteed it was Blau. I think that the most shocking thing about the victory outside of the margin of victory was that they just, in the second half, ran the ball down Ohio State's throat. Yeah, the running game struggled early, and then DJ just was a man, you know, in the Mm -hmm. second half particularly. And he runs so hard. Well, Markel does too. You you gave me a statistic off the air here before we came on about Markel and uh, and what and how many y- carries he's got that have gone negative yards versus picking it up. What what was for the listeners? Repeat that. Sure. So for for Markel, he in his seven games played, he has fifty five carries. Of those fifty five carries, three hundred and twelve yards have gone for a gain. Four yards have gone for a loss. He's lost four yards in the running game in seven games. Yeah, so I like, you know, if we were gambling, I like my odds with Markell getting past the line of scrimmage Mm because he just runs hard. He just runs hard. Yeah, and the other one, that this one is is funny too, and this would be a natural transition into into Rondell, our obligatory Rondell more segment on Monday Morning Boilers in the 11 attempts that he's had he's also only lost four yards yeah he got induced to a national audience last night look that kid is an all-american candidate first team don't give me the second team noise yeah show me who's better show me a guy that's better I I don't know who that guy is I don't know I don't have one for you I don't I mean he, he is an All-American candidate as a freshman, and the only reason that he would not get any kind of mention is because he is at Purdue and is not perceived in this moment to be one of the elite programs in the country. So did you see um, – if he's doing if he's doing this at Alabama or even last night's opponent, uh, he's, he's the all the rage. Yeah. Did he's you all see, the rage. Did you see what he had to say um, after the game? Yeah, yeah, he acted like they just played nobody in one. No, no, I mean, no, he was so, pretty composed. No, so this morning he uh, sent out a t- he sent out a tweet with his No, I didn't see this. with his original commitment video, right? So him standing in front of the line of hats at the All-American game. You know, he's got I think it was Alabama, Ohio State, Purdue, and then I think there was one more, maybe Louisville. And it he, was. And it's him picking up and putting the Purdue hat on and and he captioned it. And y'all said I was crazy. Hashtag boiler up. Yeah. <laughs> and he, like he, that's. He's unusual. He's a special yeah. talent. Yes. Just wait. There's more coming. And they were there, I think, last yeah. night. It was a huge recruiting weekend. Huge recruiting weekend for Purdue. Of course, they um, they signed that they they've got a commitment from I think Jalen Graham, who's yes, who is Marvin Grant's friend. Um, and, and from everything that I've read, those were the top two safeties on the board for the recruiting class. And it's, it's really very rare to, to get both those guys. I think they're both like six, two, you know, one ninety, two hundred pounds 
guys, you know, they're changing the physical makeup of the secondary. And so if, they're, that's the same kind of M.O. This is going to sound so goofy, but I'm telling you, I think it's applicable. That's the same kind of M.O. the Seahawks had in the NFL. If you remember, you know, those sure. guys they had sure. in their defensive secondary, they're, they're like basically linebackers. Yeah. I mean, they're big men, and I and produce recruiting in that same mode. Well, I think you can see it with the scheme. It's very clear, and, and you and I have kind of talked about it'll be interesting to see as, as they get more and more talented guys and, and the, the, they start to be able to develop a pass rush just brushing four. Yeah. Like, it's very clear that right now they're blitzing from everywhere. Yeah. And they're just, and they're leaving those guys, they're leaving Blackman and, and Major and all those guys out on an island. So now if, you, now if you start to put six, two, six, three guys back there, big physical dudes, well, now you're, I mean, you've got some length and some, some ability back there that it's going to be tough to, to throw on them at times, especially trying to throw those go routes because the length just to make up the, the ground, you know, it, it could be fun. Yeah, you know, it is going to be fun. It could be. It will be. Absolutely, because if you're if you're a guy on the offensive side that touches the ball, mm-hmm. why in the world would you not want to come and play here? Well, I'm sure that that's what uh, was was being said to a a certain wide receiver who is a, a highly touted prospect that plays at Warren Central and David Bell, who yeah. was there on the sideline to 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 be a part of the the festivities and, and to be, be there and see the excitement. I mean, Ross aid was as electric as I've ever seen it, you know, maybe some recency bias, maybe going back to the tiller era, you know, Kyle Wharton in those days, but it was, I mean, it was a fun atmosphere to be in. And, and, you know, they had a lot of recruits there. They had a lot of the guys that are already committed, you know, Carloftis. I think they had a bunch of the 2019 guys there. So, I'm sure that all of those guys were going over and saying, hey, David, you know, come play with us. Come play with us. You know, or, or any of the other, you know, prospective recruits that were there. You know, hey, come come play. Come be a part of something special here. Yeah. I, tremendous upside. And, you know, what a great night to, to come off with a win like that with those kids there. And again, if you touch the ball. In the game, in the course of the game, why would you not want to play in yeah. this system with this staff and these players? Mm-hmm. Um, huge, huge night for that. That's for sure. It's also yeah. a huge night for uh, for Mr. Trent, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about the emotion. There's so many storylines going into it. You know, Tyler Trent. I'm sure everybody's familiar with his story. What he's going through right now. You know, for him to be able to get up. And come to the to the game is incredible. You, know, you could tell uh, just with that scene in the locker room after the after the victory that he ha- he has a connection and a bond with with those guys, and they seem to really enjoy um, being around him. You know, I think it was uh, Mike DeFabo who had a video that he posted after the the press conference presser. David Blau uh, walked over to uh to tyler in his wheelchair and you could hear audibly you could hear uh david blau getting emotional saying hey every time i threw the ball i was thinking about you every throw i made all night 
And, and, you know, I think that that emotion carried them to another level that Ohio State was not ready to handle. And they played with, you know, with a sense of aggressiveness and, and tenacity that I don't think the Buckeyes thought that they were going to see. And, and you know, I, emotion is, is a game, you know, in, in sports is a, is a huge X factor. And you could tell that Purdue had the emotional advantage for the entire night and played a, a major part in them being able to get the victory. Well, clearly for a group of the players on Purdue's team, the relationship with Tyler is a, is a big deal, and it's it's heartfelt, sincere, it's authentic. Um, what a cool story. Having there, you know, he makes the call. He calls his shot before the game on the special, you know. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, the Boilers get it done. And, you know, for, <clears throat> for me and for others that are alumni and proud of the university, uh, it really showcases what's great about Purdue athletics. They're, they're, it's a class program. And, you know, those young men, student athletes, represent the university and all of us in a way that we can be proud of. You know, and if, if you were uh, not a, if you were a passive fan of college football and you just happened to tune in to uh, Sports Center last night or this morning, what a contrast in stories. You know, you see this great story about, you know, the Tyler Trent and the team and how they rallied around him and what a great night it was for that. And then they follow it with the shenanigans at Michigan, you know, with a guy tearing up the middle of the field and Harbaugh doing his antics. And, you know, I just think at some point, supposed adults in a room got to look at that and go, well, <clears throat> which way would we want our university to be represented? And I'm pretty proud of Purdue and what they do. And I think the story with Tyler Trent really, really showcases that. It's a, it's a really cool deal. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I can't say that I'm shocked that the uh, the gentleman who, who decided that he was going to go after the, um, the locker room facilities after members of his own athletic department had come down the previous summer and signed off on him. <laughs> you know, wasn't able to handle a, a tense situation in a mature way. But that's that's neither here nor there. You know, one we'll, of the bring other, it, we'll, bring, we'll bring it around full circle and just leave it with this. As, uh, teams take on the demeanor and the personality of their coach. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. By and large, good or bad. And I'm telling you, this Purdue team has taken on the demeanor and the personality of their coach and their coaching staff. And, man, they are, they are tough. They are focused. They are gritty. And they are not even close to being done yet. And no, I think that I think that's probably a good way to leave that conversation. Just leave that there where it's at. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you. Also, happy to see Marcus Bailey get the pick six. Growing up yeah. in Columbus, didn't get the scholarship offer. You know, that's a chip on his shoulder. I was glad that he was able to get his payback. Also, um, congratulations to David Blau for getting the uh, the greatest unsportsmanlike penalty in the history of unsportsmanlike penalties running out onto like not even like 10 15 yards onto the field like at the goal line celebrating with his helmet in his hand doesn't have it on it was actually it was it was really funny so he gets that unsportsmanlike penalty right and then they cut to him in the broadcast and he, they got the iso cam on him and you can see he's kind of he's tapping himself on the on the pad saying hey that's my fault that's my fault you know, take penalty, move on. Some, <laughs> That's worth, some, it's worth it. I was going to say some penalties are worth it, but 
right. now look let's, at let's talk, let's talk, let's look ahead. Yeah. Let's talk Michigan State because sure. <clears throat> there's an opportunity here. Yes. Yeah, there's and, an opportunity here. And you and I had, had talked, we've talked about that a number of times. We felt like they needed to split the Ohio State, Michigan State series to have a you know, have a to to really not have to have you know put too much pressure on that Indiana game to right. get to get to a bowl game and you know the way that they played I think you have to worry about an emotional letdown a little bit you know you're not going to be it's going to be in East Lansing um, it's going to probably be cold and snowy and miserable because somehow Mike D'Antoni D'Antonio has figured out how to just upon a snap of his fingers create awful weather for Michigan mm-hmm. State uh, um I mean, they had a they had a lightning delay against Michigan in October when it's forty degrees outside. Like, you know, that's crazy. But this is a Michigan State team that is certainly vulnerable. You know, you talked about the kind of the next four or five opponents coming up. Really, the rest of the the way out are, are run heavy teams. Well, Michigan State's a team that used to be a run heavy team. Run heavy team that can't run the football. Only averaging 3.2 yards a carry. Um, their leading running back or leading carrier, uh, Connor Hayward, only has 194 yards on the season. They they really rely on Brian Lewerke to, to throw the ball a lot. And Brian Lewerke, who is 5 for 25 against Michigan. Yeah, he's, he's a and 50. Just lo- and just lost his leading receiver, Felton Davis. Yeah, Felton Davis, Felton who's Davis averaging. Felton done. Yeah. Well, I mean, Felton Davis and Cody White, uh, Daryl Stewart Jr., there's still some weapons, still some weapons on this team. Uh, somehow, L.J. Scott is still on this roster. Uh, L.J. Scott, I think, is in his ninth year at Michigan State. He has been there forever. You know, they, you never, you know, last time Purdue was in Michigan State to play against East Lansing, they, they kept it close for most of the game. Uh, you, you have to feel good though about where they're at as you as you look at the remainder of the schedule. You know, <clears throat> Michigan State has struggled the last couple weeks. Um, Minnesota just, or I guess it would be Wisconsin would be next. Wisconsin, if you can stop the run, don't think no, that no, there's no, a... Iowa. You got, we got Iowa at home. Okay, Iowa. Iowa has looked pretty good. And then we're at Minnesota, and then we get Wisconsin back at home. And I mean, Iowa's looked pretty solid. Uh, but you know Purdue was able to beat them in Iowa City last year. That's certainly a winnable game. Uh, another Minnesota, run heavy. Another run heavy team. Yes. Who can't really? Who struggled to run the football this year? Some too. A little bit. A little bit. And you've got Minnesota, who is fresh off of getting fifty-two hung on them by uh, the Fighting Scott Frosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the played really well. Yeah. Yes. And then um, then you've got Wisconsin, who is. Certainly looked really shaky on offense. If they can't get Jordan Taylor going, Alex Hornibrook is has been a mixed bag of results. Right. So again, another run team. Yeah, and then then you get IU to finish the year. Right. Who is a is a quality team? They are absolutely. Yeah. They're dangerous, and they're going to be dangerous down there. And that's going to be an emotional game. So, uh, you know, you got you got to avoid the letdown after the yes. big win. But this mm-hmm. staff has managed every situation this year. First time travel, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, coming off the bye week, played the best game of the year until last night. I mean, Illinois right. was – Illinois is the best game of the year until last night. Um, yeah. 
man, we're just we're, we're peaking at the right time, and I think they do a nice job of managing emotions and expectations and just being business like. I wouldn't well, worry about the letdown. I'm not it, worried about the letdown. The only the only thing that I'm curious about, and and this will play a factor. This is the first time that that coaching staff has had the statement game because they did they didn't really up in somebody at, at Western Kentucky, you know, like a high ranked team. You just beat you just manhandled the number two team in the country. You know, that's not only, you know, that's got everybody feeling good. Now, I think that you're right. I think that they will, they'll be business-like and they'll be workmanlike, but yeah. you just, you never do, you never really do know. No, you don't know. That's why you play a game. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like where we're at against Michigan State. I think we're catching them in a really good time because their their number one target is done. Uh, Lewerke is struggling. He's not a great quarterback, frankly. Um, and the run game is, you know, not the not the strongest, so they'll be out of the top twenty five by next Saturday. And uh, they are, they I, are I, out I, of the I, top twenty five. Yeah, I think we're catching them at a really good time. I think so too. I think you, I think you hit it, hit it right on the head with that Purdue's peaking at the right time. So and pr- prediction on this MSU game. Um, well, without knowing the weather, I would say that this game's probably like thirty one seventeen. Purdue, you know, I think that I think that Michigan State will try to will keep it close. Um, I admittedly have not watched Michigan State play at all this year. I don't know defensively. I know that they usually are pretty good on defense. I don't have any reason to believe that that wouldn't be the case again this year. They beat Penn State in Happy Valley, so this is a team that can can be pretty good. You know, you just have to hope that you're able to to go in and out physical them because that's, I mean, that's always going to be Michigan State's mo under D'Antonio. You know, they're just gonna they're gonna be a physical, hard nosed football team, and if Purdue's able to rise to that challenge, I think that the Boilermakers will have a good shot of getting a victory in East Lansing. Yeah, I I, I think it'll be really close. You know, it's early. Uh, obviously, it's Sunday evening as we're recording this, and so. You know, Friends out in Vegas don't have the lines up really yet, but I think yeah. I think state's probably a given to. Um, so I would definitely take the Boilers in the points. I think this is a touchdown game, one way or the other, and it will come down to um, what it usually does come down to, and that is who takes care of the ball. Yep. And uh, the, I think the team with the with the largest number of turnovers will lose. They I think that that's yeah. I think that. I think that's definitely a good indication. I think penalties will play a factor into it as well. The team that's yeah. the most disciplined and will will come away with the victory. I don't I don't see it being more than one one touchdown either way. I like Purdue's chances. I really do. And uh, boy, I tell you, Vegas has figured out this team's good at uh, covering the spread too. So <laughs> they they know how to put points on the board. Yes, yes, they do. So well, that's gonna pretty much do it for for us here. Uh, next week, though, we will have. A little something different. We'll have our wrap-up for football. Uh, but we're also going to get into our 2018-2019 basketball preview. We're still trying to figure out how exactly we're going to break it down. We know we're going to break it into two parts. You'll get one next week and then the one following the week before the uh, the Marion exhibition. And uh, so you'll we're, we're going to have that. And um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to do football. But we're looking forward to uh, Coach Painter and the boys getting – 
ready to rock and roll. We know they had a scrimmage this past weekend. Neither of us were able to, to make it to that, so we don't really have anything to add on it. But once again, be sure to celebrate the Boilermakers coming up with a big victory over the weekend. Get ready to rock and roll in East Lansing. And as always, Boiler Up and Hammer Down. <laughs>